if you could, 30-year-old Hannah, go back to sweet 23-year-old Hannah that just lost her friend, um, what would you say to her? What would you do for her? Um, how would you comfort her? What would you tell her? Well, I am just imagining walking into her bedroom. She's lying on the bed, just crying, like tears just leak into, leaking into her e- ears, and listening to episodes of The Office. <laughs> for- <laughs> that was that was all I did for days and I did it so constantly that I went through all nine seasons in like three or four days because Mm. I I had a like a tablet and I carried it around with me everywhere and I listened to the office the moment I woke up as I brushed my teeth as I went to the bathroom as I made my breakfast while I ate my breakfast went to work and I came back from work immediately started again as I made dinner as I ate dinner as I got ready for bed as I took a shower as I laid in bed as I fell asleep and then the moment I woke up again which means that there was not a moment not a moment where I was not trying to drown out the noise with it Mm. and like so I'm imagining myself walking in and seeing that and just my heart just breaking I would just give her a big hug Oh, gosh. And just say, I'm so sorry. And just, like, sit there next to her and just hug her. Like, hold her in a hug for, like, an hour. I needed that so bad. But I didn't know how to get that. I didn't know how to ask for that, right? But I just Mm. wanted to be embraced for an extended period of time. But instead, I... I just isolated myself, you know, locked myself in my room and watched Netflix for 50,000 hours. (laughs) I I do think there is that piece, right, of like identifying what we need, step one, and then two, having the skills and the language to ask for what we need um, is such a step of maturity in grief, right, of like having that, you know, actually what I need is to be held and um, procuring somebody to hold you in a way that's helpful, right? In a way that you can communicate the things. Um, I just, I I think that that is, that can't be understated. I mean, I I think that also speaks to the growth that you, you could probably do that for yourself now. Um, I also think it's really interesting that, um, I think I've read that part of that cyclical, like watching nine seasons nonstop, um, especially if it's something that comforts you or you've seen before, um, that you Mm -hmm. know everything that's going to happen is a part of the, can be a part of the grief cycle, but it's also a part of the um, not wanting to process yet or not like just trying to, to defer the processing while you're in like the first I don't know I've heard it's a thing yeah it's absolutely I deferring it, it because I, rem- I remember the moment that the last episode of the last season finished my body actually went into shock and I was like oh, mm. oh, oh no oh no stun 
oh my god, oh no, what am I going to do? And I started bawling. Like, I was, like, scream crying because the office had ended. Mm. Because I didn't have a next episode to immediately go into. Because you know how on Netflix, like, two seconds and then it immediately starts. It was just silence. And I couldn't handle five seconds of silence. So I started Mm. crying and screaming the hardest I'd cried and screamed in days since I had started watching. So I literally had just put it off until later because I was like, I can't right now. And then eventually had to face it. Like, oh, it's just so hard. And also I do want to say that asking for things is really, really hard, especially when you're in that dark, 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 dark state of mind. And I don't know if I could do it now if I was in that state because... First of all, I don't even know who I would ask. Like, hey, can you come over and hug me for an hour? <laughs> Without, like, I would free- totally fly to Chicago Aww, right now. Thank you. Now we have this. So we talked about it before. So now it's okay. <laughs> I can ask you. But like, yes. without that, I don't know if I could have. And- it's like in Finding Nemo when they're talking about the exit buddy. Like you had to have this conversation when you're in a good place of like who yes. your exit buddy is. Yes. That, like, Find your exit when you're- buddy. In the freaking hole, you gotta call up your exit buddy and be like, so remember we talked about this thing? It was like we were half joking, but like, serious. Here it is. Yes. Oh my gosh. So true. And it's like, I hadn't had that conversation before. So I I Mm. didn't have an exit buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay, so theoretically... I totally could have gone home, right, to my mm. parents and asked them to hug me, but I couldn't for some reason. I couldn't go home. They offered to come be with me, and I said no because yeah. I didn't know what to do with that support. I, I was like, if you're here, I'll literally just be lying in bed. I was like, I don't know what you would do if you were here. So I just rejected it. But that could have been an opportunity where I could have had that. And it's also the thing of like, you know, so there's friends, there's family. I didn't have a romantic partner, right, to share the bed with or to cuddle with or to hug me. So because of that, I felt very much like, oh, I I just can't have it. It's not accessible to me because I still Mm -hmm. had that frame of mind where it's like, that's what the romantic partner gives you. Like, you can't cuddle with a friend. (laughs) you know that was my mindset so it's like well I guess I'll just be alone (laughs) but my mind is opening up over time so I'm hoping that now I could do that there is the human piece and I think um the physiological piece right the science of it and I think something that I learned through COVID and going through it right I mean I at this moment in time that we're recording Um, I've lived by myself and I'm single and I just lived through COVID in this house that I am single and living by myself. Right. So I think there was, it was incredibly isolating for all the reasons that it was. And I I think part of the healing process, but also the human spirit thing or the human spirit aspect is um, we are meant and created to be in community and whatever that looks like. Right. And there is a physiological, I think it's a resetting of the parasympathetic system that when you um, have an anxiety blanket or a physical person that is um, holding you. Right. Like it, it resets it. 
So there is also the like, oh, emotionally, I feel like I want this thing. But physiologically, it is part of the science of how we reset and recalibrate. And I think that that is incredibly kind for all of us to know that there is the emotional piece of it. But then there's also the, this is how my body works. And I don't know, for me, somehow that's comforting of like that I, what I'm craving or what I would want is natural and also a part of the, I will say the, the complex part of what it is to be human, right? It's, it's both. Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that, I mean, as a society, we are so, so touch deprived. Like, mm. I'm trying to even think back to the last time I hugged someone. It's probably been a few weeks. I think maybe the last time mm. I hugged someone was at the retreat we went to. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think I've hugged someone for a few weeks. And even then, before that, it had been probably several weeks. So I hug someone maybe once a month, <laughs> you know? And then I don't, I cuddle someone once a year, you know? So it's like, um, or just lately at least, especially because of COVID. <laughs> it makes yeah. me sound so, so alone. Oh my God. Okay, I'm not that. We're, we're working through it. We're going to. Okay, it's just a, yeah. it's a period of time I'm going through. But I also think it's a period of time that a lot of people go through a lot of the time. I don't know. It's a whole, I could, I could rant about it for forever. But yeah, like I was probably so, so desperate for physical affection when, especially Mm -hmm. when I was grieving, like I had a therapist that I talked to, I screamed into a pillow. I wrote my journal, you know, I did everything I was told to do, but I didn't get many hugs, you know? And it's like, Mm. oh, like. I just wish I could go back and give her a hug, you know, like, it's just really hard. It's really hard. I think that makes so much sense. Um, Yeah, I think the other thing um, that today, Hannah, maybe could tell um, much younger Hannah is how courageous you end up being and all of the projects that you alchemize your grief through and that it gets better yeah and it's like i young hannah got really mad whenever someone told me it gets better Mm, yeah but it is true (laughs) so it's like i don't want to tell i hesitate to tell people that because it can sound like a platitude but as far as in my experience like it did get better over time and I do want people to have that hope, but I also mm. don't want to diminish how horrible it is. Um, you so know, that it's be funny tricky. that you say that. That's that's really fair um, and I, that, totally valid, right? Like there's kind of a, when you're in it, if you're not ready to hear that yet, you like, that's not the thing I need to hear. Yeah, like, yeah. Punch somebody in the face, like that is not <laughs> helpful. Yeah. Um, but I do think like, at least for me, older me being able to tell younger me, like, get through this and it doesn't stay like this forever. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for me, I, I think I, I have felt like been in those dark nights or dark seasons where I think that's kind of one of the things, right? Of like, is this going to get better? Yeah. It really right? feels like it it's not. It seems like yeah. it's not going to. 
And, yeah. like, when you're not ready to hear that because you're in it, it sounds like complete BS. But I also think that's part of, like, the existential, like, tension in it, right? Of, like, I have to get through this to get somewhere, right? If I get through this and it gets worse or I stay here, like, for what am I doing this? Mm. It's so true. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it's complete it's shit, so, right? It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. And I can even, like, kind of drop myself back into that feeling a little bit. Not fully, but I can mm. kind of remember it. And it is kind of like the darkness is so thick that it's, like, right in front of the eyes, you know? So it, it yeah. it's just squeezing you. And it doesn't feel like there's anything forward or sideways or backwards. It just feels like you're completely encased. And so it is kind of impossible to see how it could ever end. I even think when I was in, when I've had those seasons or those periods, I don't even know that I would have fully believed that, right? Somebody could have said the words, older me could have said the words to younger me. I think they would have just felt like words. Like, I'm not sure that I even would have believed them, right? Because I don't know Same. that, like, that feels very true in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is part of that perseverance of just, like, I don't know, continuing to try and charge through it, even though you're not quite sure or you don't quite believe that it is going to change. And then one day slowly it does, right? It's At least for me, it was kind of like, like when you watch a sunset mm-hmm. and, like, that gradient is so, that gradient is so, like, slow that from one moment to the next, I don't know that, like, you ever really see, like, the sun wasn't up and now it's up. It's more like it happens before your eyes slowly that you're like, oh, it's morning. Uh, oh, right? It's, like, very gradual. It's, it's like you can't pinpoint the exact moment, but you can look back and be like, oh, well, it's definitely not nighttime anymore. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, it's not pitch black. <laughs> that metaphor that's really sweet yeah and I think it's if I do ever encounter someone that's in that space and I want to give them that that perspective I will definitely be very aware to also fully acknowledge where they are now and I'm wondering if there's a way to do both in a way Mm. because I can just see me being like f you like just (laughs) Right. Just immediately been like, get out of here. So, yeah. I'll have to think about that. I think that's a great point, right? Like, figuring out what part of qualifying your own experience might be helpful to them. Um, But I think there is that that very much encasement of, like, your experience and best friendship and grief and processing dark things might not be somebody else's. It's going to look different for everybody. but I think there are nuggets that if you've heard from somebody that's been through something, um, there might be a nugget for you to take from that. Right. I, I think that's valid. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be if like if someone's in the space, the headspace and the emotional space to hear from someone who's quote unquote on the other side of it, sort of. Because sometimes people are, like, eager to hear, and sometimes people are like, no, like, I don't want that. And maybe it's just dependent on that as to whether or not it would, like, mean anything to them. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's super helpful. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. 
in Friends Missing Friends what some of those categories, phases, I don't know, skills, activities, conversation starters, sentence stems, like what that ends up looking like. Um, because I do, I, I think it feels like a toolbox of it's not ever going to be one size fits all and what one person needs, the next person doesn't. That's true. And it's them figuring out where they're at just as much as it's you trying to figure out how, what does support look like? Mm. Yeah. Right. All of the above. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if all else fails, you don't know what, what to say. Um, I really think a great go-to is I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. Yes. Just acknowledging and just just sitting with them in it for a sentence, a phrase, a conversation, um, a day if they're, they're, they're your exit buddy, <laughs> whatever that looks like. I love that we came up with the word exit buddy because of Finding Nemo. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. I think that's, I actually think that's kind of amazing though, right? Like, especially like in terms of a tool, right? Mm. That's totally a tool. Yeah. Right? It's a reference that people will get. It's a tool that they'll have of like, oh yeah, I do need like that person that I could come, I could call to come get me out of a ditch when I get my car stuck. Right? Like, I mean, emotionally, right? In, in grief, like, I mean that metaphorically. Yeah. Um, but if you don't feel like you have somebody to call, like if you don't have that AAA, right, then you're going to feel like you have to isolate. And it's really hard because sometimes we don't have that person and sometimes the person who would have been that person is the person that died. Yeah. And that is yeah. such a horrible, scary place to be. I mean, I would have reached out to yeah. her. She would have been one of the first people yeah. I reached out to if I was grieving. Yeah. But I couldn't. She was your person to grieve with and she was the reason that you were grieving. Layla um I mean I, I think it's similar but different right I think there is this like to my soul how much I miss her um right I mean just a soul connection like I there are not that many humans that I have loved in this world as much as I loved my dog yeah yeah and I think part of that grief at least for me it feels really sacred. Like there's part of this grieving process that has been honoring how big my love for was, my love for her was. So correspondingly, my grief is that deep. Yes, yes. And like it is the peak and the valley. And um, I think what's interesting for me in that having, having processed a little bit or some periods of grief in other places in my life, um, there's been almost, almost this sacredness to when I bring her up, how I bring her up, um, 
it really being only around people that I feel like get it. Mm-hmm. And that has yeah. been such an interesting thing because there's really, I will say, just not that many people that do, right? So, so there's a little bit that has been, I have had to try and navigate of that what's helpful because I think there's, there's the, if my people that I feel like get it are unavailable in that moment, then I do find myself in those, well, I'm isolating and I don't want to talk about it because people don't get it or, um, you know, like she was my cuddle bug. She yeah. was who I shared my bed with. She was who made my house not empty. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, in my my adulthood and my 30-year-old grown-upness, right, she was my whole family. Like, she was my household. And so I think there is that, like, corresponding. The grief is so deep for me. Um, and that I was able to say all of that and not completely lose it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a little surprised about, but there, there's also that, right, where um, socially or societally or culturally, um, the my dog died, right? It might happen on a Monday or on a Friday. By Monday, you should be back in the office, right? And so yeah. there has also been this interesting tumult. Like, it has flipped my world and my life upside down, right? Like, it just... There's part of it that I feel very grateful for because I'm very aware that the depth of my grief corresponds how much that I loved. But there's also just this real big misunderstanding, I feel like, in specifically in the workplace for how deep a loss it is, right? Like, I mean, I could legit, in my brain, this could have been like a full-blown bereavement for what a shift it was in my life and what a um, what a 180 it was for me to start to... I mean, part of my worrying about hitting the, the floor was... Or what, what the floor looks like was part of the idea of losing her. I couldn't imagine um, mm-hmm. how I was going to exist in the world without her, right? It felt like I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hypothetical, like, I can't imagine this, is part of the fear around loss, right? Because... Oh, absolutely. I couldn't imagine it, right? And it just, I couldn't imagine the world without her, and I couldn't imagine existing without her. And what was that going to look like, and how was I going to feel in it? And um, there's a part of me that feels... I don't know if guilt is the right word, right? There's a part of me that feels like now I am doing this impossible thing mm-hmm. because she's not here and I'm slowly, right? I mean, I have good days and bad days and, um, you know, but I, I think that's part of it, right? Is like that whole idea of what does it look like when you're grieving um, a very dear someone that the world is telling you it doesn't matter as much as it feel like it matters. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely true with with pets. Like I don't think that the world always acknowledges how important they really are to us. I think um to circle all the way back to something that you said earlier, um I think part of the, her passing was beautiful. Um, 
and, and something something that I found a lot of closure in was being an active participant and um, I will say helping her leave, right? Like that, that did give me a lot of closure. Um, I think also that focus, at least for me with regards to pets and regards to her was wanting to make sure that I made, I made decisions that were in her best interest and acting on her behalf versus prolonging what was no longer um, a high quality of life. Right, so I think that there was kind of those decisions that I had to make on the front end before I was too emotional, right? Like I needed like the criteria of, you know, when she can no longer be herself, then I'll know it's time, those types of things. Um, but one thing you said about the actual funeral um, and what really has been part of what has been instrumental for me in the processing, um, I... I knew that she needed to be at my family's ranch. And so I, um, we left the vet, um, scheduled a, a, an appointment with the vet. Um, the vet put her down. My, um, my family met me and we went straight to our family's ranch. And I think I just felt so seen and supported. Um, my family was around, but they really let me do the things. And, um, so I actually, I used the backhoe that we dug the hole and then I placed her in it. And so like, I was a part of the whole process of her final resting place that was such closure and such like a, a resting place. My nephew made like this beautiful little cross for her and like, did like a heart of rocks and stuff like that. We put some wildflowers for her. And so I think there's just that other piece of every time I go to the ranch, she's there. And that's exactly where she should be. Thanks for listening. Friends Missing Friends is produced by me, Hannah Rumsey, with co-producer Sydney Bauer. Original music is by Eric Siegling, featuring The Lost Wayne. Artwork is by Heidi James. If you have a moment, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we can cherish and remember the friends we miss. I'll see you soon.